Good morning to those of you who are new here. My name is Randy. Glad to worship with you, with Jesus here who is in this place, uh, wanting to encourage every soul here. Glad to meet you. Glad you're gathering with our, our uh, crazy church family who uh, loves Jesus and like Lissa shared, believes G- Jesus uh, didn't just die for us, but he's living in us and wants to make himself known through us and saturate this region, this city with his name through us. And so we, we have a privilege and honor to be used by Jesus in that way as he's loving us. And so we want to invite you to join our family in that uh, work in this city and in this region. Uh, so as we've been working through a number of, uh, well, as we've been working through the Joshua series, we've been picking it back up since our little break in July. Um, after the barbecue, so I'm going to be finishing up Joshua today, this morning, uh, our awesome present series uh, and it's been an amazing journey for me. I was dreading it a little bit at first because of how little hardcore the book of Joshua's been, but I'm encouraged to say at the end of it now, I'm so thankful the Spirit led us to go through Joshua because my love for Jesus and my just faith for him has, I think, grown a ton, just personally speaking, during the series. Just a greater love for God's Word and a greater excitement to be on his mission. Uh, because he's with, he really is with us, and his presence is really that awesome. I've just been encouraged in that way. I hope you have been as well. I've heard from a number of you, and it's been encouraging to hear that. But we're going to be wrapping up this morning, next week, like Lissa shared, we're going to do a barbecue in the courtyard, so there will not be a sermon out there, but um, I will maybe pray or something like that and encourage us with something. And then the week after that, we're going to kick off a new series in the fall, um, uh, a series that we're titling Devoted Family, and I am very pumped about this series that's coming up. It's going to be fairly short. It's just going to cover September, uh, a little bit in October, and then we'll pick up another book in the Bible. But Devoted Family, just really pumped about the series, pumped about what we're going to be doing and calling our family to. But really the heart behind it is the importance of unity and devotion as a church family. I mean, it's all over the scriptures. When we're circled around Jesus as one family, knowing where we're going and, and, and what it's supposed to look like together, it's an unstoppable force. The gates of hell can't withstand Christ and his bride. But unity is so, unity and devotion is so important to that. Ephesians 3, Paul even talks about the, manif- the church is the manifest wisdom of God. And the principalities and powers and authorities look at that and, they, and, and it rocks their world. And I'm talking about, we're talking about demons. We're talking about Satan. When Gentiles and Jews, when different people from different backgrounds come together and have a crazy kind of unity that just will not be shaken because of Christ, it it does something, not just to the natural world, but to the spiritual realm. And so I'm just excited to get more into what does it look like to be a devoted family. So that's What we'll be getting into, honestly, it's hard for me to stop right now. I feel like I could just preach that whole series right now. I'm just pumped about it. But I'll stop. And uh, we're going to be, like I said, we're going to be looking at Joshua 24. We'll be looking at Joshua 24, 1 to 28. It's such a rich chapter. Yeah, it's it's, it's hard not to want to preach through the whole thing. And just 1 1 through 28 will be hard enough. So I really want to get into it. But I want to say, like I said last week, Joshua is at the end of his life. He's at the end of his life, he's bringing together his leaders, he's bringing together the Israelites, and he's trying to depart uh, well, and he really wants to hand off what is most important. Anytime we hear someone's last words, like I said last week, there's weight behind it, there's an extra kind of weight behind it, and we get that right here with Joshua, and there's a bit of a pleading. We're going to read in this chapter a heart 
that is pleading for the hearts of Israel. And it's beautiful. And the heart he's getting across is the importance of serving, i.e. worshiping Yahweh and him alone. Because there's a lot of things that compete for Yahweh's glory, God's glory. And that's what we are going after this morning is who will you serve this day? That's what Joshua is getting across in this chapter to the Israelites. We were all made by God to serve God alone. And yet since the fall, we're all looking for that place. Who are we going to serve? And all of us are asking that question whether we know it or not. Because we're all giving ourselves over to something. Because we were just made to do that. But the home we're all looking for, whether we know it or not, is serving God. It's being in his presence. It's enjoying him and walking with him. And, and so the question we're asking ourselves this morning is, who will you serve this day? Which is a central question of our lives. And the way I'm going to take Joshua 24, 1, 2, 28 is first. I'm going to talk about with that question, who will we serve? There's an importance of trusting God's faithfulness. That's the first thing. The second thing we're going to talk about is embracing God's calling. And then the third thing is we have to count the cost and what it means to serve God. So those are the three things we're going to hit. And we're going to take it chunks of verses 1 to 28. So the first chunk I'm going to read is verses 1 to 28. Please follow along with me. I'll read this one out loud. Maybe the second chunk we'll read all together, but I'll read this one out loud. Follow along with me. Actually, let me pray real quick. Hmm. Jesus, I just, man, just feel a conviction. Wow, how easy it is for me just to kind of just move along with my notes, how easy it is for us just to move along our day, not thinking about how amazing you are, and you have stuff to say, and you have things you want to do, that utterly wrecks our world, because it touches us in the deepest place we long to be known and seen. God, I don't want to miss that this morning. I don't want to just go through the motions. God, I don't want anyone here to just kind of check out and go through the motions. God, I don't want anyone here just burdened and distracted with a bunch of things to miss what you might have for them this morning. Jesus, I just, I felt you so mightily as we're singing that last song. Your presence is meant to be felt. It's real. You're real. You're a reality. You're not merely information that we just go through. Your presence is powerful and beautiful, and it's meant to rock our world. God, I, just, I pray right now in this space you would create a hunger. You would create a thirst in us for you and nothing else. God, I lift up my arms as I, as, I, as I sang those words because I realize those words are for me. I'm hungry for you. I'm lost without you. You've done so much. There's so much to think about the ways you've been faithful. And I need to be reminded of that. So I raise my hand saying, yes, that's me. I want to bless your name. I want to be filled up because you're the one who fills up and satisfies the hungry heart. God, I just, I I pray that we would hunger for you in that way right now, that we would be leaning in saying, God, speak to me, Jesus. I'm curious, show me who you are. Jesus, would you bring a transformation this morning? 
We want to encounter your presence. Jesus, it's only by your grace. I got nothing. I can't give. I can't do anything apart from you. Even on my best day, I got nothing apart from you. Jesus, come fill me. Holy Spirit, lift up Jesus. Jesus, it's about you this morning. It's all about you. Be glorified. You're amazing, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to start reading with uh, verse 1 in Joshua 24. Joshua gathered and all the tribes of Israel to Sheshem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. So this is kind of God speaking here. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many, or you could say multiply. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you. And I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Instead, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your, or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, cities that you had not built, and dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. So what we're talking about first is trusting, the importance of trusting God's faithfulness. Trust that always, that God always knows what he's doing. He always knows what he's doing. And what God is essentially, one of the, one of the things that really stuck out to me as I was reading this and preparing for this message is the the story of Abraham. And in this, God is essentially saying to the Israelites, remember, before you were my people, you were just like everyone else. They were just like everyone else. You didn't love and, and serve me, God's essentially saying. You didn't follow me, but I had to rescue Father Abraham. And Abraham wasn't this 
really great guy with a pretty good standing with God that just needed a little nudging by God to get you know, more on the right direction. I think sometimes we can look at Abraham like that. And, and, but that's not the case. Abraham was worshiping and serving false gods, far from God like everyone else. But God was, is making clear, it is him, it is me, it is God who chose to set his affections on Abraham and reveal himself as the true God, Yahweh. God chose to do that to Abraham. God wants them to remember there isn't something just special about Israel for Israel's sake. There isn't. It doesn't start with them. It starts with God. It didn't start with, their, with Israel's love for God. It starts with God's love for Israel. God setting his affection on them. There isn't something particularly special. This is going to hurt some of maybe our feelings this morning. Special about us. About you. In fact, the Bible will go a little bit more hardcore. The Bible says, you were yet sinners while Christ died for you. Not you were kind of sinning and Christ died for you, or you kind of had your stuff together and you were doing pretty good so Christ finally can put up with you. Or you're finally getting your stuff together and now Christ loves you. No, while you were yet sinners, while you were an enemy, rebellious against God, no matter how good you might think you are, you were sinners while Christ died for you, set his affections on you. What good news. While we were dirty, stained, unclean, Christ died for us, for you. The heroes of our faith that we read in the scriptures have nothing outside of God's grace. It's God's grace, anything good that they did. It's God who did it. It's God's work. It's God's faithfulness. I just think it's so amazing how God is just trying to be that clear going through these verses. This is 600 years he's covering here in 13 verses. And he's just trying to make utterly clear it's about him and his faithfulness. I mean, constantly he's saying, I did this. I got, you know, chose Abraham. I am the one who worked through Jacob and Isaac. It's, he's just making that claim. It's he's the one who rescued them from Egypt. He's, he's using that saying, I. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites. I fought, for you, fought with you. I, 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 I destroyed them before you. I would not listen to Balaam. He's the one that protects. I sent the hornet before you. I gave you the land. I, I, I. God's just trying to make it clear. It's him. It's his faithfulness. He's the one. God was faithful. God never failed to be faithful. God is trying to say, try me, test me, hold me to account. Show me where I failed. See where I have failed to be God. Show me where I have not said I would do what I did. Show me. God is faithful. Do you know that this morning? Is there a trust in God's faithfulness this morning? That he is the God who always, always comes through. It is so gracious to God, in a sense, to be this confident about himself. To kind of display that and declare that, because we need to hear that, right? Because trusting in God's faithfulness, if we're honest, is actually really hard, isn't it? It's a struggle. 
Is it a struggle? Am I the only one? I'm the only one? Well, then, you, well, you guys need Jesus more than I thought. And I was <laughs> It's a struggle. It's hard. And I think it's gracious of him to remind us of that. In fact, like I said last week, it's funny. The last two chapters, that's Joshua keeps reminding, or God keeps reminding us of what God's done in the past to encourage us in the present. That's why I talked about last week. I'm like, man, do I got to preach the same message, Lord? I wonder why he's doing that before he dies. It's because we forget. And if you didn't practice it last week, like an exercise gave you, man, sit down and think through, rehearse, and declare the ways God's been faithful. It's so encouraging to one's faith. We need that reminder. But it is hard. And many times, we doubt. We struggle with doubt. And it doesn't feel like he, maybe God has come through or is coming through in our life. And maybe we're in that place right now, this morning. And we can actually note some things that highlight why we struggle with trusting God's faithfulness right in the text that I just read. One of the things that can be noted is God's timeline for walking out his promises, it tends to be very different than our expected timeline. If you look at verse 3 in chapter 24, it says, Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan, and made his offspring many, or in other interpretations, says, I multiplied his offspring. But what I think is so interesting is what it says next after that. But then it says, I gave him Isaac. And I think that's interesting because that's not the multiplication. Isaac is one, right? I mean, I didn't do great math, but I think, I think there's something funny about that. I think there is. That's not many offspring. He only had Isaac. And what was crazy is Isaac even took a long time. 25 years. God promised. It, it took 25 years for Isaac to even come. That's one. And then what's interesting, if you keep reading on, in verse 4, then after Isaac, it says, I gave Jacob and Esau. Okay, so now Abraham got two grandsons. All right, we're getting a little bit more here, but it's, we're not seeing, you know, this is taking a while. And what's so funny about that? Uh, it took Isaac and Rebekah about another 25 years for that to even happen. What's up? What is God trying to tell us about himself? What is he trying to tell us? God's not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry. He's on a gradual process. A lot of times he is. God's not pressured by a clock. He's not pressured by a calendar. He's not pressured by people's expectations. It's just amazing to me. And God did multiply Abraham's seed, but it's crazy how slow we did it. It's not the way maybe I would do it, right? Not maybe the way you might think to do it. But God, he does follow through, but sometimes it's so slow we don't see his faithfulness. And we have to remember that. Trusting in God's faithfulness, it needs to be based on the fact of the matter. Like, he's faithful because he really is who he says he is, and he really has done the things he says he's done, versus on the timing and speed of it. Does that make sense? It's true because it's true, because of God's word, not how fast things happen the way we want them to. And when we demand too much too soon, we lose sight of who God is and what he's done. 
Is there something that maybe you're wanting to happen in your life right now so bad, so bad, and it's getting in the way of you trusting in God's faithfulness? Is there something in your life right now that you, there, there's the only way you can be happy with God and excited about God and excited about his church and what he's doing when this thing or these certain things happen in your life, maybe with job or with school or with marriage? I don't know what that is. Another way that's pointed out, I found in our reading that it can be hard to trust God's faithfulness, is that God is a bit mysterious in his ways. Verse 4, for example, it goes on to say, I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. That's their inheritance. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I think that's interesting because Esau, they're not the covenant people. They're not the chosen people of God uh, that God made a covenant with. Jacob is. Yet Esau, they get the inheritance that they are promised right away. They get it. But what does Jacob get? Jacob, Israel, they go down to Egypt. And what happens in Egypt? Eventually, they become slaves for 400 years. Isn't that crazy? That comparison's right there, right in our face. Why is that? Why, why do God's chosen people suffer hardship and slavery while these others get the reward? It's just not fair, right? It doesn't seem fair. What's going on? God's people often have to wait in great suffering for God's promised blessings. And we see that in the scriptures. Have you ever struggled? You ever struggle with seeing others around you seem just to have this good life, have it all together? Things are just going well for them. While you're in a place of hurting and, and suffering and you're asking God why, wondering where is God, where is his goodness in the midst of my struggle? Where are you, God? You ever have that in your life? Maybe some of you guys are in that place this morning. I know for me, back pain has been an issue for the last several years since I've gotten out of the military. And to be honest with you, I thought I would be at, at a very different place than I am now. Things would be figured out and it would just be like a... If you think about a, a chart, it would just be a really clean line uphill, and I would just be doing great right now. And that's just not the case. I, it's, uh, however many months ago, I started this regime, and I thought at the end of this regime, you know, with physical therapy, massage, chiropractic, I'm like, man, I'm going to kill this, and I'm going to do great. My back's going to be awesome. And, and on top of that, praying all the time for healing. So one of those things God's going to work through, <laughs> it's going to be good. And that's just not where I'm at right now. There's, just, there's still a lot of pain, and i got to think through other avenues. And it's hard. When the body's in chronic pain, it, it, you have those moments of like, okay, can I trust you? What's going on? I did everything. I've been doing the prayer thing. I've been doing all the stuff, like, science-wise. Like, wait, and it hasn't worked. What's going on? I was praising you, but now I'm wondering what's going on. We have those moments, right? It could be loss of money, loss of a job. Maybe school's not going well, sports aren't going well, pressure of life, feeling lonely. You have no friendship, no, no, not much relationships. All these things just can suffocate and drown out the trustworthiness and faithfulness of our God. It can get hard, and we see that. We see that in Scripture, and, and something that I'm encouraged by is that God 
in the midst of this list of crazy grace, he throws in the dark stuff. I really appreciate that about him. He's not hiding it. Esau got their inheritance. Jacob got Jacob got Egypt. Right in the verse, he ain't hiding it. He's like, it's like God, you might want to cover that one up, man. Everything looked awesome, but that one's kind of hard here. So he just doesn't do that. And I think there's something for us there. God will enter into our dark places and hold us. He can, he's enough. He can take care of it. He can handle it. He's good. And here's what's so good about us, especially on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ. We can trust he's faithful. He who did not spare his only son. What more can we ask? He didn't withhold his only son. God is so trustworthy. He cares and sees and holds. And he's both sympathetic and strong. That's what's so beautiful about Jesus, guys. We can trust him. He is with you in those dark places. Amen? Amen. God is faithful. He has never failed. Never fails. And he never will. Picking up with verse 14. I would love for you guys to read these couple of verses with me. We're just going to read 14 and 15. So please read along with me. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we, f- we first talked about the importance of trusting God's faithfulness. Now we're talking about the importance of embracing God's call. So we saw in the first 13 verses, God says, you know, hey, this is who I am. Look at what I did. Look at who I am. And then Joshua says, in light of that, in these next verses we just read, listen, guys, the one who calls, the one who delivers, the one who protects, the one who supplies, guess what? Now serve him. Serve him. That's what he's saying. And the word serve is used 18 times in this chapter. That's, that's a lot of times to use a word. Essentially, what Joshua is saying is these Israelites, they got to decide who, whose slave they're going to be. That's really what he's saying. Who, who are you guys going to give yourself over to? Who are you going to give your whole self over to? And that's why Joshua goes on and he says, if serving Yahweh doesn't seem desirable to you, like after I just read, after God just went through that list of awesome things, who he is and what he's about, if that's not desirable to you, he kind of says this crazy thing, but if it seems undesirable to you, then go ahead and choose who you're going to serve. Like who else are you going to serve? And Joshua, you know, and he brings up like the Amorites, or, you know, choose to either serve them or serve the, the you know, these other foreign gods. Choose which one you're going to serve. And it sounds a little weird to, to, to hear that and read that. But what Joshua is doing, he's pushing them to realize that they must come down somewhere. Because it's already happening. We've been hardwired by God to give ourselves to something. To serve and, and give adoration and worship to something. That's how God has made every human 
being, even if you're here and you say, I don't even believe that there's a God, you're still giving yourself over, your heart, your mind, your soul, and elevating it to a place of worship. It could be your job. It could be your girlfriend, boyfriend. It could be your spouse. It could be money. It could be power and position. It could be sex. Any one of those things, we elevate into that kind of status. Because deep down, you are made to give that, give that to God, like I already said before we started. And what God, and what Joshua is trying to make clear is God is, is all or nothing. He's all or nothing. And so you must choose. Who are you going to give yourself to? The true God? Or if you don't, if you're not desiring that, I, I think in some ways he's kind of saying, okay, here's kind of, here's the empty stuff that's going to leave you constantly dried up and, and, and wanting and hurting you. But you, you know that there's no middle ground. You don't get to, like, step out of the choice. You're in that position. The decision is laid before you. And Joshua here, and that's why there's a pleading. I don't know if you hear that in this. There's a pleading. He is pleading for their very souls, their very hearts. There's nothing more important than Israel that they would not compromise love for God. And I don't, I don't know if you see the urgency here, but I felt it as I was working through this. Joshua has this one last time. This is it for him. He's going to die. This is his last words. That's why there's weight to this. That's why we need to lean into this. What we need to lean into is God's word, but, but there's something special about this. This isn't something that he wants them merely just to kind of reconsider in a year or two. To throw around and kick back, maybe, do I want to, do I not? He's saying, choose this day, is what Joshua is saying. And we know, we know, we've heard, here this, here's the stuff that Jesus has done for us. He's lived a perfect life. He's died on the cross for sins. He rose from the grave. But do we choose to serve him this day? That's the question that you guys, we choose this day who you will serve. That's what's before us. And I just want to tell you guys, if you walk out those doors this morning, and you're unclear today who you will serve, there might not be a tomorrow. There might not be a tomorrow. You may not have another chance. And I just want to say there are too many people who want to put questions off like these, decisions off like these to another day. And if you wait until you're, until you're ready, you might not have that time. You might not have that time. This is about today. It's about this moment right now. It's here, this day. And I just want to ask, where is your heart? Where is your heart towards Jesus this day, this moment? Where are you at with him? Who are you serving? Who are you worshiping? Who are you giving yourself to this day, this moment, right here? He gave his life for you. He is beckoning you. He's saying, come, follow me, trust me. Why? Because I gave my life for you. Choose me this day. Trust me this day. I am good. I am gracious. I am with you. See it. Grab it this day. Embrace that truth this day. Will we embrace that calling of Jesus?
That's why Joshua says, he, and he declares what he declares, but as for me and my household, I will serve the Lord. He makes it clear his decision that day, I will serve the Lord. That's the legacy. That's what he wants us to pass on to others. That's what I want to see passed on to my home. I want my kids to have no doubt who I chose to serve in my life. I want them to know, Dad, psycho about Jesus. Mom, crazy about Jesus. With my words and with my deeds, my kindness. Man, I saw some kindness from my dad. Just Jesus was all over him. Oh, the way he repented and apologized. Wow, that humility smells of Jesus. Saw it so much in my home. I want that. Don't you want that? For the people around you? Don't you want your friends to be like, oh, man. Man, my friend, oh, the way he serves and the way he just thinks of us. Oh, just smells of Jesus. Jesus is all over him. Think about your workplace and the way you might lead others or submit to your bosses. Oh, man, look how hard they work. Why do they work that hard? They go above and beyond. Man, it's that Jesus. They serve Jesus as their main boss. Wow. Look at how they just wear that. In your schools or playing sports. Man, look at the way they think about others. Look at the way they serve. Man, they're not out to be about themselves. They're out for the team. They're out for building others up. Man, that just smells of Jesus, the way they play that sport. Wow. That's amazing. The way they think about other students, amazing. That's Jesus. We wanna, don't we want to pass that on? And what's so cool about Joshua, I mean, he's, a, he's really a powerful testimony. It comes from a man, this choice of his that just really is this example that's being passed to us. It comes from a man who experienced a lot of highs and lows in life. He was a slave in Egypt those years. But then he saw God mightily rescue them out of Egypt. And then they wandered in the wilderness. But first, before they wandered in the wilderness, he was one of the spies. He had great faith that day, but the Israelites didn't. So he wandered in the wilderness. That was a big low, man. 40 years in the wilderness? I think it's a pretty big low, especially on the hills of being enslaved. (laughs) So it's a pretty big low. And then he got to see the walls of Jericho fall down. Huge high. But then he goes to take on AI, much smaller city, and he gets his butt kicked. Big low. And what was God doing through that all? Cultivating a heart that even at the end of his life, he would say, on this day, I know, regardless of what you guys end up doing, I will choose to serve the Lord. That's what God does with the highs and lows of our life, the struggles, the pain. He wants to cultivate a heart that says, God, you alone, you alone will I worship. My home is not this place. My home is coming to me. He's going to create a new heaven and new earth. He's given you himself. There's no better person. There's no better relationship than Jesus. And he does all kinds of things that are mysterious to us to make a heart grow more and more in love with him. That's what we see here. And what's so beautiful, even beautiful about the story of Joseph goes beyond Joseph himself, but who he points to, the greatest leader of all, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one who came from Nazareth, where nothing good ever comes out of. He's the leader of leaders because he always, you know, Joshua messed up. He wasn't perfect, but Jesus never messed up. And you know what he did so amazingly? 
when he was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he was trying, Satan was trying to get Jesus to worship Satan. Jesus says, nope, worship the Lord and only serve him. Only him. Only him. And he lived his whole life that way. He only did what the Father showed him and told him to do. Jesus, he's the real hero. He's amazing, guys. He's perfect in every way. He's, in fact, good, right, and perfect. He's the very holiness of God. And what's so amazing is he just didn't live to show off how awesome he is because that would just crush us because we can't ever measure up. But he died in our place. He died in your place. He substituted his life for yours. He takes your sin. He gives you his perfect righteousness. That's what Jesus came to do so that now he can live in us and bring about that kind of legacy and example. Because I'll tell you what, me being that kind of dad that was wearing Jesus well, the more I try to pull up myself by the bootstraps and accomplish that, it just gets worse. I, in my best efforts in trying to make things better, I only make it worse. And my family's really good at letting me know that. And I'm actually, and I'm actually thankful for that. Because <laughs> we need that. We need to wake up to the reality. We can't do it. It's Jesus. And that's actually where we're going to go next. But I want you to consider this. If this is your last day, seriously, you're gonna, let's just say you're going to die tomorrow. This is your last day. That is not a prophetic statement, by the way. Do not freak out by that. I'm just, it's just something to think about. This is your last day. What example, like, would you leave behind? Like, think about the spheres of influence you have. Whether it's your workplace, what kind of influence would you leave behind? What would you be known for there? At your school with your classmates, what would you be known for there? The people you play sports with, what would you be known for there? In your home, with your kids, with your spouse. Or if you're not married, with your group of friends you're hanging out with, with your neighbors. What would your neighbors know you for? What kind of legacy would you leave if you died tomorrow? And what I want that to bring about, and I hope, I hope it doesn't bring about condemnation, but may it bring about urgency in us, a desire to say, Jesus, I surrender all. You're, you're here and you're in me, and you're in, he's in you if you have faith in him and you trust him. Would you bring about more of that sweet-smelling aroma of that sacrifice that you laid down for me? And, and bring that about so that others might know that I'm the one that hangs with you and you're the one that does all this awesome stuff through me. You can ask him that. One of the coolest ways God has given me some comfort in the midst of some of this new, like, understanding, like, I got a little bit more of an uncertain, complicated pathway from my back. Um, which I also believe God can still heal at any moment. I do believe that. And I have faith in that. I'm still praying for that. But it's as far as like what's true right now, it's a bit complicated moving forward. He has given me so much assurance in the fact that Jesus is my friend. I just think that is so amazing that in the midst of pain, he's never going to, he's always just there. Like when you think about a good friend, like when we talk about like friendships, a lot of us will say, man, it's a good friend. We think about a person that's a good friend that doesn't let us down. And Jesus is like, man, he's the ultimate friend. He's always there. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll always be with you to the very end of the age. And I don't know, it just brought me a lot of comfort. Like, man, I know this is hard. I don't know what tomorrow holds. And I'm saying this to anybody here going through something. But he's your friend. If you know him and you have faith in him, he's your friend. He's with you in the midst of that. And I just, I think, hopefully that's encouraging to someone here. But thank you, Jesus, man. So good, so good. And so what he, in that, he, he calls us, embrace that. Would you, this morning, 
would you choose to embrace that this day? That kind of invitation, that kind of relationship he offers you freely. In fact, the only thing you got to bring is your sin. You got to own that. And he cleans you up. Man, I, I, yeah, receive that today, friend. The last point we're going to cover is counting the cost of serving God. I'm going to read these verses out. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. So they're just responding with a lot of like, yeah, we'll serve him. But Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses then. You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, will, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Sheshem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth. It's a tree that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. So we talked about the importance of trusting God's faithfulness, the importance of, then the importance of embracing God's call. And lastly, we got to count the cost of serving God. we got to count the cost. That's what Joshua's saying here. These people in verse 16, they, they answer the call. Of course, Joshua, we will serve the Lord. And it's, it's a great response, right? We, like, you hope to hear that. But I guess not Joshua. Joshua responds, he says, you're not able Talk about killing the moment, right? That, that, that is the perfect kill the moment example. Taking the wind out of their sails. <laughs> Love to see their faces when Joshua said that. Who do you think you are, man? People say, um, I don't know, I've, I've, I've heard this from time to time. I've seen this in my own life when I first came to Christ. This kind of um, immature zeal, I'm going to serve God and, and yet there, there lacks kind of any kind of rich depth or understanding of what they're really saying. That's kind of, I think, what's happening here. Um, and what that lack of understanding is, is really around God, who they're really committing to. Who's this being called God that we see in the scriptures, Yahweh? Who's Jesus? And, and like C.S. Lewis says, God, he's not tame. And what he means by that is you can't domesticate him like like, like some dog that you're t- teaching tricks. Or like I think about my kids, like we're trying to, you don't, you don't domesticate God. You don't grab God and put him in your pocket to fit your schedule in your life. 
And a lot of times when we say yes to God, there isn't that understanding that God is God. And he is holy. He's holy. And he is jealous. He's a consuming fire, the scriptures say. He is an all-powerful God. And apart from his grace and power, we actually can't serve him. And I think that's what Joshua was trying to get across. You can't. You can't serve God. I can't serve God apart from his grace. To say I will serve him in all my life, I think it can be kind of an immature, like we have to be careful with that. I just think that there should be a soberness because we're not, I think it's, it, life is not merely making professions of faith, which we can tend to think in Western society. It's all about what you say. We, what God is saying here is we need to count the cost. We need to count the cost. Not just say stuff, but count the cost. When I, I remember back when I wasn't a believer, but I came to enough church services every now and again because my mom, hearing stuff about God, I was scared enough about hell that what I thought I would do is in case I died, I didn't want to go to hell. So what I, I, I knew, I grabbed a couple of the words that the preacher man said on stage <laughs> to like repent and follow God and okay, let me write that down. Okay, say that prayer. And I remember I kind of had that in my hip pocket, not literally written down in my hip pocket, but just in my mind. So just in case I died, I didn't go to hell, I'd say those words. That kind of was like how I viewed God. It was kind of like just, it, it was kind of like hell insurance for me. But there was no counting the cost. There was no, like, I, I wanted just not to go to hell, but I didn't want anything else to do with God. And I thought I could get away with that. But what God, counting the cost looks like, oh, he's a jealous God. Oh, he's a consuming fire. Oh, he's holy. Oh, he wants all of me. Oh, oh, hold on. <laughs> I just didn't want to go to hell, man. Why do we got to do this whole life thing together? It's a relationship. It's a relationship. It's about love. It's a love issue. Like we talked about last week, it's a love issue. He wants all of us. Like a jealous husband, man. He wants all of you. Do you guys know he is jealous over this room right now? Think about that. He's right here. He's jealous over this room. Jealous. Jesus, in the Gospels, well, actually, I think in most of the Gospels, but in Luke 14, I don't, it won't be on the slide, but you can look it up later. It was so interesting. He had this, this crowd accompany him. And to shake things up in the crowd, because it was a crowd that wasn't counting the cost, he said stuff like, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. But which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? It's like, wow, what, what was he doing there? He didn't want them to go leave and hate their father and mother. No, <laughs> of course not. But hey, do you guys understand, like, I take preeminence over all these seriously important relationships in your life over everything, even your own life. It's me. Do you know that? So you say you want to follow me, 
But do you know who you're following? Because I do want all of you. But do you know what that means? And I'll tell you this, to those who are not being saved but are perishing, that sounds utterly dreadful. Because deep down, your desire is to be a slave of sin. We were born into being slaves of sin, Romans 6 talks about. We love the darkness, it tastes good. And that's sad because that's not how God created us from the beginning. And that's how detrimental the fall has been. That's why you see so much brokenness, by the way, family. When we sometimes see all brokenness around us, sometimes you're like, what the heck's the world coming to? Oh, my gosh. We just got to pick up the Bible and read it and be like, oh, yeah. That's why. The fall is, it's a fall. It's broken. But for those who are being saved, to know that there is actually promise and hope that Christ in you can make you a slave of righteousness where there's potential, there's an opportunity to serve him. Well, we count the cost. What do we do? Yeah, there's a soberness and a seriousness, but there's a joy saying, yeah, Christ in me, Christ in me. That's the hope of glory. That's the hope of Christ being known in the world. It's Christ in you because you can't do it apart from Christ being you. And that's really what we're coming to with what we're talking about, when you have the Spirit in you, it brings about a humility where you're quicker to say, not, I'm going to serve you all my days, God. You'll be quicker to say, I can't. And you're on your knees. I can't. I can't do nothing apart from you. But with you, God, I can do all things. All things. Because you're the God of the impossible, and you make stuff happen. You ever notice in Ephesians 6 where it talks about the armor of God, that it doesn't talk about you being strong? It says be strong in the Lord and his strength and his power. It's his power and his strength. It's God's. But do we know how to be weak and humble? Because if you can't be weak and humble, you won't understand the power of God. You can't Serve the Lord. You can't serve the Lord apart from his grace. You can't. You're utterly dependent on everything from him to work it all out. Amen? Amen. Dang. Time. And I just want to say this. Joshua's not trying to discourage. He's trying to sober them up, wake them up. There's a cost here. God is holy. And he finishes up his passage saying, okay, you want to serve the Lord and be faithful? Two things, and I'll just say these briefly. So if you're note-taken, try to write fast and think about it later or talk to me later. You are witnesses against yourselves. You're going to hold each other accountable this moment. That's what he's saying. And I just want to make this point here. There should be a culture of accountability in our church family. There should be a culture of of accountability in our church family. If you love Jesus here and you're a part of this church family, and that means you're part of a family. You, whether you're a brother or sister, you're part of a family where there's other brothers and sisters and you're responsible for one another. There's accountability in that. When you see a brother or sister going off the rails, honoring Jesus, whether at a party or just hanging out or just talking together, whatever, in anything, 
it is incumbent upon you because of love. There should be a compulsion of love to go pursue that brother or sister and have a conversation and process and ask questions with Jesus right there helping you along the way. Okay? A culture of accountability. That's a big deal. In our Western hyper-individualism, that's really hard for us because we tend to think me, myself, and I. Oh, that's that person. Man, they're jacked up. Lord, bless them. Hope they're okay. But I'm going to go about my day. No, no, no. That's a sheep potentially wandering. And I say potentially because you got to go check it out and ask questions. Or you might be a jerk and you might be off, right? Hopefully that wasn't offensive. We all can be jerks sometimes, though. Amen? Am I the only one? I <laughs> My wife is the only one. They amen that. That's why. So, um, but yeah, no, she could be wondering. We've got to ask questions and checking because we're not the Gestapo here. We're not, it's not about controlling. It's about love. If you have a love for Jesus, isn't it awesome to walk in his ways and not, not walk in his ways? Right? When we're off the course, it sucks. It's not good for the soul. So if you see someone else in that way, we should be moved by love. To, say, to check in, ask questions, because if they're off, their soul is crying to be, bra- be brought back. Oh, my. Be brought back. <laughs> be brought back on course. And God might want to use you and have you see something to go help out. I know there's going to be fear in that, but Jesus is going to be with you. Oh. Blessed are the wounds of a friend, right? Don't Scripture say that? Blessed are the wounds of a friend. Oh, man. Big deal, guys. Accountability. Culture accountability. I got so much more saying that. I'm not going to say it because I got no time. And it's just important as we want to see gospel saturation happen. I know. All right. I need to stop. Look, I'm about to go on to it again. Two, he says, now throw away the foreign gods among you. You must leave behind anything that is compromising God's holiness. For us today, Christ died to make you holy in the sight of God. He died so you could be washed clean. Don't neglect that. You've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So think about it. Could Jesus hang out with you this week? Could Jesus hang out with you at the parties? Could Jesus hang out with you at the bars? Could Jesus hang out with you when you're on vacation? Could Jesus hang out with you when you're watching TV? Could Jesus hang out with you at your job place? Can he be with you? Because that's, that's really what this comes down to is he's always with us as we follow him. And what we're supposed to be people we're not going to be perfect people, but what we get to be is people who realize Jesus is our friend. Jesus is with us. He's our Lord also, and he's with us, and he wants to show us stuff that we might be doing that are off, that's off, so that we could throw it away and cling back onto him, our best friend, right? So that's what he's talking about here. We got to throw that stuff away. Let's throw the crap away. Jesus, help us throw the crap away in our lives. So we could be walking deeply in your ways. I, I, I got I to stop. So that's where we're landing. Why don't you guys, uh, uh, music people, come up. You guys stand. And what's really cool as, as, as we close and get ready to respond is how Joshua closed that part I read. And he had that cool little ceremony with God's law and the stone under the tree. And, and, and it was for them to have a picture in their mind. Guys, remember. Remember how worthy God God is to serve alone above everything else. And what an even greater picture we have with our Lord and Savior, our King, would allow his body to be hung up on a cross, mangled, bruised, bloodied, beaten for you and me. 
to like go back to that and to go back to the fact that the stone was rolled away and he's, it was empty. He's alive. Like, wow. We get to go back to that again and again and again and be grounded and reminded, oh, he's the one who's worthy to be served. Him alone. Him alone. Amen? And so we get to celebrate that today. We're going to sing, I surrender all. And what I want to ask of you in your worship, let it be true worship where there is a soul examination. God loves soul examinations. That's actually real worship. He doesn't want you to say it with your lips. He wants your heart. And maybe as you're singing, if there's anything in your life that you're kind of not surrendering to him, and maybe he's cluing you in throughout this morning, give it to him. Lift up your hands. You know why I lift up my hands when I sing? Because I'm so needy. I'm so freaking utterly needy of God. So lift up your hands and say, God, here it is. Jesus, take it. Jesus, take it. Take it. I can't. And guys, I got about 10 things I got to say that to him. Even in my heart, as I'm going through right now, there's things like, Jesus, I can't do it apart from you. Remove that. Remove that fear. Remove that anxiety. Help me. And we'll also, we have the tables. We have a table there, two tables there. We've got bread and wine and grape juice. Dip the bread into the cup because it's celebrating. Jesus' life lived perfectly for you, and his death on the cross shed for the forgiveness of your sins. You celebrate that because he's the reason why we can serve him. We can't serve God. We should be condemned to death forever in hell. But because of Jesus, man, we get to serve God forever. Amen. So that's why we celebrate that. And then if you're here and you need prayer, we'll have some people ready to pray for you in either one of the double doors. If you're a leader, you can go there now. You might be here struggling with something where you're like, I am struggling with God's faithfulness. I'm stuck. I want to tell you, I think Jesus wants to tell you, it's okay. It's okay, friend. <laughs> Let him minister to you there in that place. And maybe you need to go get prayer. So Jesus, I pray right now, would you lead us to respond to you music, communion, and prayer. We love you, Jesus. We worship you alone. In your name we pray. Amen.